Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. All right, Hebrews chapter 3, Ephesians chapter 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. The church is struggling in the first century world. They're struggling due to persecution. They're struggling due to pressure from their Jewish families who were saying, look, Christ hasn't come back yet. The temple is still in operation. Just come back. This whole Jesus thing has messed up our whole family. And it's caused a lot of problems in their life. See, the temple is still in operation. And if you came to Christ, if you chose to follow the carpenter from Galilee, oh, this meant being excommunicated from the temple. That was the threat that was given to the man who was born blind in John chapter 9, and it was still happening in the context of the church today, excuse me, of the church of that day. Well, if you were excommunicated from the temple, let me tell you what that meant. You were excommunicated from life because religion, politics, family is all incorporated in the Jewish life. Your wife If you were a husband and you got saved, your Jewish wife could legally divorce you, take the children so that they would not be influenced by this man from Galilee. Pharisees, they had spread the rumor, according to the gospel, that the disciples had stolen the body of Jesus. So with the temple in full swing... Was the fire that was lit by Christ being snuffed out? I mean, after all, wasn't he just a man? Maybe he was just a celestial being. Was he really the Son of God? Is it worth you giving up your life for? Was what they were dealing with, and I believe it's what we are dealing with in the 21st century world. So the Holy Spirit was very quick to communicate. That Jesus is greater than the greatest of men. And he calls out the prophets. They were great men, but yet Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater than any celestial being. He's greater than any angel. In fact, he became a little lower than the angels. He became a man. So that he would be able to die for our sins. You're in Hebrews 3. Just look up a couple of verses to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17. Hebrews chapter 2, 17. Therefore in all things he had to be made like his brethren, like us, human beings. That he might be a merciful, you can understand us, and a faithful high priest representing us to God in things pertaining to God. To make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. You see, in the first exhortation, of which there are five in the book of Hebrews... 
In the first exhortation, he exhorts them, don't drift away from the truth that's found in Christ. Don't just slowly and gradually move away from Christ. Don't allow the world to creep into your life. Don't allow TV to capitalize all of your time, movies and entertainment or even music. Don't drift away from studying the Word of God and getting to know Jesus, your Savior and Lord. But now the second. And he's going to exhort the church that disobedience, doubt, and disbelief will keep them from the abundant life of Jesus Christ. And I don't know if you know this, but in John's Gospel, chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus gives the Christian a promise. And he says this, not only do you have eternal life, he says this, the thief thief does not come except to steal and to kill and destroy. Jesus said, I have come that they, speaking of believers, may have life and they may have it abundantly. Jesus wants us to have an abundant life. So much so. There in the crowd in Matthew chapter 11, he calls out, He calls out to everyone that was there, and he says this. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you peace with God. Come to me, and I will give you rest. I'll give you peace with God. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm gentle and lowly in heart. You'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Not only can I give you peace with God in this life. If you choose to take my yoke upon you, I can give you the peace of God. Well, there's nothing like peace. The inner inner peace. A peace that passes understanding when we're faced with the turmoil of the world. There was one woman in the crowd that day that was listening. And as Jesus went off to Simon the Pharisee's house, she, a prostitute, a woman of the night, she ran to Jesus' feet. She listened to the call and she wept so much so that she wet his feet and washed his feet with her hair. And Jesus looked at her and said, Peace. I give to you. Your sins are forgiven. You see, this is a call to you and to me. Jesus Christ, he gives us abundant life. He gives us peace with God, and he gives us the peace of God. And in Hebrews chapter 3, let's take a look at what he offers the believers. Therefore, therefore, he says, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, Now that's important and we stop there for just a minute because he's speaking to believers. He's speaking to believers, holy brethren, partakers of the holy calling. We learned earlier what that calling was. He's calling many sons to glory. He's calling many people to come and be in heaven with me. Come to me, Jesus said. Consider Let's think about, let's dive a little bit deeper. Consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was faithful in all his house. He says, okay, we're talking about Jesus. 
So we're going to get a little bit deeper. Let's consider him a little bit further. Let's take a closer look at the apostle, the high priest of our faith. You see, as the apostle, he was to represent God to man. That's what an apostle does. He is sent out from someone to to represent But as the high priest, and we're going to dig into that in Hebrews 5, 6, and 7. But for our time now, as our high priest, he represents men to God. He's making intercession for us. So when you're praying for that woman, Lord, I know that she is my wife. And I ask in Jesus' name, and you say it with passion, in Jesus' name. You even give Jesus three syllables. In Jesus' name, I pray that you would give me her as my wife. God, Jesus intercedes for us. And Jesus says, he's really praying for his wife, but not this one, because this one belongs to someone else. And so I'm interceding on his behalf because he doesn't know that this one is not for him. So he's really praying for her, and he hasn't met her yet. He intercedes for us. It's what he does. And the writer uses Jesus as an example. Now remember, church, they're going through trials. They're being thrown in jail. They're being thrown in the gladiator's arena. This is not a very popular time for them to be a Christian. And so he uses Jesus as an example there in verse 2. And he says, who was faithful to him who appointed him. He's calling our attention to Jesus. And he said, look, Jesus was faithful to do what God told him to do despite the trials that he faced because he trusted in God. And then he pulls in Moses. He pulls in Moses. And he pulls in Moses as another example of someone who was faithful to do what God had called them to do. Now Moses, you know, is a very big figure in the Jewish faith. You see, Abraham, we know him as the father of faith. But Moses, Moses is the founder of the faith. Because through him, God gave the law. Moses was everything to the Jews. And so now the writer has to show that Jesus is even greater than Moses. But Moses was everything. Take a look at John chapter 9. This is Jesus speaking to the Pharisees. Listen, he answered them. I told you already, and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Then they reviled him and said, you are his disciples, but we are Moses' disciples. We're Moses' disciples. You see, they wanted Jesus to know, we're not going to follow you. We follow Moses. But this we follow This we follow was not we follow. This we follow was we worship. We worship Moses. Take a look at John chapter 5. Look what Jesus said, speaking to the heart of the Jews. He says this, Don't think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There's one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. You put all your faith in a man. That's what he's saying. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote about me, but if you don't believe his writings, how will you believe my words? They worshipped Moses. They put all their faith in Moses. It exists today. 
It exists today as some put all of their hope in Mary the same way that the Jews put all of their hope in Moses. You see, they revered Moses. And because they revered him, and because the writer of Hebrews knows that, he uses Moses as a good example, and they say, he says to him, all right, okay, listen, Moses is a great example, and I want you to follow his faithfulness to God. Not follow Moses. Follow his faithfulness to God. Because Moses was faithful to do what God called him to do. But gang, we need to be careful. We need to be careful not to follow man, but to follow God. Paul said this, follow me as I follow Christ. In other words, what Paul is saying, Paul knew he was to set an example. I know that. I know as the pastor of this church, my job is to set an example as a leader. But my job is to point you to Christ. My job is to lead you to him, not lead you to myself. That's my job. So when someone comes out and says, wow, the word of you changed my life. No, I didn't do a thing. All I did was be a faithful servant to use the gift that God has given me because it came from God. And then I prayed and I asked God to give me a word. And then God did something in your heart. So for you to say, oh, Pastor Chet, you're changing my life. Be very careful. Because let me tell you what that does to me. I am. Wow. I go home to Andre and I say, I'm changing people's lives. Why won't you change? I get to tell my children, I'm changing people's lives. You'd better change as well. Do you know what happens in the brain of a human when you start giving them praise? And so what he's saying to him them is, listen, Moses was great. He was great, but I want you to follow his example in that he was faithful to God. Because Moses has had a job. And the job of Moses was to give the law that pointed towards Christ. Moses came to bring the law, John 1.17. He came to bring the law, but Jesus brought grace and truth. Oh, Galatians chapter 3, verse 24. Take a look at the purpose of the law. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ. That was Moses' job. He was to point to the fact that we need a Savior. How many of you have ever lied before? Go ahead and raise your hand. No, really, I want you to raise your hand if you've lied. Hey, how many of you have ever stolen before? Let me tell you what your pastor used to do in third grade. Mrs. Val's class, third grade, she always left quarters in her drawer, in her front drawer pocket. I mean, her front drawer. And let me, on the way home, ice cream cost 25 cents. She tempted me and I wasn't able to withstand it. Oh, how many have ever stolen before? Raise your hand. Just 25 cents. Raise your hand, okay? How many have ever coveted someone's brand new 2023 Ford Mustang? Go ahead and raise your hand. Oh, a yes and amen. 
Oh, I understand. I'm a lawbreaker myself. And the law is there simply to let me know there's no way that I can live up to God's standard. I needed a Savior. Praise the Lord. Amen. That's what Moses did. Even Moses, in Deuteronomy chapter 18, he said this. Take a look at the screen. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren. Him you shall hear. He says there's going to be a Jewish Savior. So what he does now, Moses is great. Nothing wrong with Moses. He was faithful. But now the writer is going to give us three reasons why Jesus is greater. Take a look at Hebrews chapter 3, verse 3. For this one, speaking of Jesus, has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Do you remember when Moses would go up on the mountain? And when he would come down, he would shine like Casper the ghost. So he would come down the mountain, and he looked like a flashlight coming down the mountain. And everywhere he looked, it was like, glow. Just imagine, okay? You know what I'm talking about? This is glory. And he reflected the glory. Every time he went up to the mountain, it was like, he'd come down. So the people go, Moses, you are glowing like Casper the ghost. Go ahead and put a cover over your face because we are watching this glory. But what would happen with the glory? It would fade. It would fade. I'm going to show you why it would fade in just a moment. But Jesus went up on the mountain. He didn't reflect the glory of God. He radiated it. Moses was great. He reflected the glory of God. But when Jesus went up on the mountain, more glory. He radiated. He was transfigured. We got to see not the fading glory, but we got to see that flesh was just a cover-up for what he's really made of. He is light, and in him there is no darkness. Moses was great, but Jesus is so much greater. Now take a look. Inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. He's referring to Jesus as God. And Moses indeed was faithful in his house as a servant. Now stop there if you would. Moses is great, but Jesus is greater. Jesus is the builder of the house. He's not the house. We're going to learn later that Moses was just a shadow of the things to come. But Jesus, let me tell you something. You drive to those wealthy neighborhoods and you start looking at all the homes, okay? You don't look at the home and go, wow, look how that home built itself. No, it's just a home. The home didn't build itself. The builder built the house. And if you want a house that looks like that, you don't ask the home how it got built. You find out who was the builder because the builder is greater than the house because the builder put the house up on itself. Now, church, Moses was great. He was the house, but Jesus is the contractor who built the house. But not only that, Moses was a servant. He was a servant in the house. Take a look at this next one. For a testimony of um, Moses, indeed, verse 5, was faithful in a house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken of afterward. In other words, Moses was an illustration of what was coming. But Christ as a son over his own house. 
Moses was great, but he was just a servant. Jesus is the son. And what Moses did in the Old Testament, just like Joseph, even David, he was a type. He was an illustration of the son, of the Christ who was coming. And what the Jews were doing they were exonerating Moses to be the end all like some exonerate Mary to be the queen of heaven. We've got to be careful because Mary is great. She was blessed among women. But Jesus is greater. And we've got a purpose not ever to give glory to a person more than we would give glory to Jesus Christ. And we do that in our culture. We love our popular pastors. We follow them on Instagram. And they'll take a shot of themselves. Here I am playing basketball. And everyone, oh, so fun. Look at our pastor. He's doing this. Okay. Some of us will spend more time following our popular pastor than we will be getting to know Jesus in his word. We live in a hero culture. We've got heroes of basketball, heroes of football. We've got heroes. You know what our heroes should be? Our heroes should be our public school teachers. Do you know what they go through? Do you know what they go through to teach our kids? But we live in a hero culture where we take a look at the pastor and we're like, wow, well, let me tell you something. Pastors are great, but they are nothing in comparison to the glory of Jesus Christ. And we've got to be careful in our hero culture that we give God alone all of the glory. Now, take a look what he says here. Whose house we are, now look at this, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of our hope firm to the end. Wait a second. I, I thought if we're saved, we're saved. I mean, i got to keep working for my salvation? Well, no, that would go against the entire theme of the book of Hebrews. He's not saying that we've got to work to keep our salvation. Jesus finished the work on the cross. What he's saying is, our work is evidence of our salvation. When we are, let me tell you something, we got over 300 volunteers who would come here every morning at 7 o'clock so that they can labor unto the Lord ministering to our kids at Vacation Bible School. Let me tell you something. They are proving they're saved because no one at summer vacation wakes up at 6 in the morning to come and listen, we've got parents running out of here because the noise is so much in the sanctuary. They're running out of here like this. They can't take it. But you should see our volunteers. They're screaming just as loud. And some of them are 75 years old. You know why? They're saved. And the way that God gave his life for them, they're willing to do anything for God. You see, what he's saying here is not whether that we prove ourselves, excuse me, that we get saved by holding fast. Our holding fast proves that we are saved. So what is this work? Those who hold fast to the hope 
they prove their salvation. You see, those who have trusted in Christ will be steadfast. Later on in Hebrews chapter 5, we're going to learn Christians don't quit. We don't give up. We are steadfast because the Spirit of Christ is in us. We are confident because the Spirit of Christ is in us. We have an inexpressible joy. We're not just getting through the 21st century. We are singing through the 21st century because of the joy of Christ that's within us. You know what I love about Calvary Chapel South Bay? You don't sing, you worship. I look out and I want, some of you are doing this. Some of you are doing this. Some of you are flappers and you're like this. Let me tell you something. But all of you are worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of you are a little Presbyterian. God our Father. But you're singing. Some of you are yawning and you're singing. You're giving your life to the Lord Jesus Christ in worship. It's evidence of the fact of your salvation. I love that, that you are choosing to worship in joy. And let me tell you why. Because I know what some of you are facing in your world. And when I look and I see you worship the way that you're worshiping, and I know the situation in your life, it's a blessing to your pastor, but I know Jesus looks at you and he marvels. He's blessed by your worship. You're not just enduring, you're rejoicing in the midst of it. An example would be Joshua and Caleb. They steadfastly, for 40 years, they believed They believed that they should have gone into the promised land, but they had to wander in the desert for 40 years. Let me tell you something. If that was me, you miserable Jews, I believed that I should have gone in and now I've got to wander for 40 years. Not Caleb, 85 years old. He walks up to Joshua and he said to Joshua, look, (laughs) I'm 85 years old and I'm as strong as I was when I was 40. Give me the hills with the giants on them because I'm going to take them down. I was going to take them down when I was 40 and I'm going to take them down when I'm 85. If I was Joshua, I'd be like, Caleb, are you serious? But Joshua looked at Caleb because he knew he believed. And he said, go take those giants down. He believed. He was steadfast, just like Joshua. And he got to enter into the promised land. But I want you to take a look at this one more time. Whose house we are, verse 6, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. You see, when the writer was writing to the Hebrews, he's assuming that they have a lot of Old Testament knowledge because he's writing to Hebrews. That's to our disadvantage. We don't have a lot of Jewish history under our belt. We've got the Old Testament, but some of us, we don't like the book of Numbers. Like when our devotions get to Numbers, we skip straight to Joshua. Like we just, God bless you, God bless you, Deuteronomy, I mean Numbers in Deuteronomy, I'm going straight to Judges, right? I mean, it's like, I am out of here. Or today we're doing Psalms. But they understood what he was saying. Because Moses, though he was a great example, Moses didn't hurt, he didn't hold faithful to the end. They knew exactly what he was saying. In Numbers chapter 20, let me tell you the story. You can read the story later. In Numbers chapter 20, Moses was told by God, I want you to go and I want you to speak to the rock. That's all I want you to do. 
The people were thirsty, and he said, I want, the first time, he said, I want you to strike the rock. Now, the second time, he says, I don't want you to strike the rock. I want you to speak to the rock. Well, as Moses was going up to the rock, Numbers chapter 20, look at him, Moses. I can't believe he brought us out of this wilderness. We're all going to die out here. I wish I had the onions of Egypt. I wish I could go back to Egypt. Ah, Moses, you brought us. Our people are going to die. Our donkeys are going to die. Our children are going to die. Moses. And as Moses was walking to the rock, he started hearing all of this commotion. And all of a sudden, (laughs) he starts getting angry. And when he gets to that rock, he's so angry. Instead of saying, could you please give us some water? Just like God told him. He takes his staff and he strikes the rock. And God says, Yo, Moses, come here. It's number chapter 20, verse 12. Take a look. Then the Lord said, yo, Moses, come here. Because you didn't believe me, ouch, to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I've given them. Ouch. You didn't trust my word. You didn't believe me. In fact, Moses, you got a bad attitude. Take a look at Numbers chapter 11. Look at the screen. Numbers chapter 11. So Moses said to the Lord, why have you afflicted your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight that you have laid the burden of these people on me? I'm not able to bear. Imagine if I went to the Lord about Calvary Chapel South Bay. Why, oh God, did you give me these people? This is exactly what Moses is doing. He didn't even like the people. I'm not able to bear all these people alone because the burden is too heavy for me. If you treat me like this, then just kill me. Kill me here and now. And if I found favor in your sight and do not let, let, do not let me see my wretchedness. Moses had a bad attitude. The great Moses that they're worshiping. He didn't even like his people. And God said, Moses, you ain't going to the promised land. Now, did this mean that Moses is not in heaven? Does this mean that Moses didn't get to heaven? No. This means he's, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, by faith Moses. Moses is in the hall of faith as a believer in heaven with God. But God says to him, you are not going to enter into the promised land because we need to understand a little bit more about the Old Testament before we move forward. Let me explain. You see, Numbers is a book of rebellion. And in Numbers chapter 13 and 14, the children get to the door of the promise. They're at the door. Okay, front door, back door, windows, like they're surrounded. Okay, now let me tell you something. From the land of Goshen, from the land of Goshen to the promised land takes 11 days by walking. That's it. From the land of Goshen to the promised land is 11 days. 
they decided 40 years was good for them. They are there ready to walk into the promised land. God says, go check it out. I want you to go see. Send us, give me a spy from every tribe. So they sent 12 spies into the promised land and whoa, it's the land flowing with milk and honey. Now I know when you go to Israel today, it looks like a desert, but it didn't look like that years ago. There were lakes and rivers and springs and all kinds of green, so much so that they found some grapes that they had to hang on a pole and they had to carry those one cluster of grapes on the pole to people go, taking it back to the children of Israel to see how great this land was. God says, go in and take it. I'm going to give it to you. Uh, me, I know the grapes are big, but let me tell you why the grapes are big. The descendants of Anak are there. This is where the whole, when the music in the movie changes and goes, da 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 da. <laughs> the descendants of Anak, the giants. We can't go in there. They'll step on us and squash us like grasshoppers. We can't. Ten guys. Now, the Bible says in the book of Numbers there were 600,000 fighting men. That means there was about 2 million people. Joshua and Caleb, yes, we can do it. Trust God. Let's go in. Ten spies. We can't do it. Trust me. You don't want to go there. These guys are huge. They're going to crush us. God says, okay. Because you don't trust my word, you can't go in. You can't go in. They didn't trust God's word, so they didn't enter the promised land. The promised land doesn't represent heaven. I know there's a lot of songs about crossing the River Jordan and walking into the promised land and all the hymns. They're not true. Crossing the Jordan is not going to glory. And let me prove it to you. Achan sinned in the promised land. There's no sin in heaven. There were wars in the promised land. Joshua records them. There's no wars in heaven. The promised land was God's inheritance for them, the abundant life for them on earth as they chose to follow God. The promised land, listen again, was the abundant life, land flowing with milk and honey on earth as they chose to honor God. In the word of God, this is called the rest. The rest of God. Let me prove it to you. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. I want you to see this. Let's look at the promises that are available for the believer. Ephesians chapter 1. Take a look at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places and in Christ. He's blessed us with Every spiritual blessing. Did you hear that? Not some, not some spiritual blessings. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing here on the earth. Everything that you need to live a spiritual life, Jesus Christ has given to you. What a blessing. That is the promised land. Take a look at verse 11. He, Ephesians chapter 1. We'll pick it up there in verse 11. 
In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. We've been given promises here on earth. We've been given an inheritance. Take a look at what these promises are. Verse 15. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Look at this. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Do you remember when you used to think that Jonah and the whale was a dumb story and you weren't saved? Do you remember when you used to think creating the world in seven days is like, are you kidding me? Do you remember when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in a fire and they didn't get burned and you thought it was just dumb? But then you got saved and it's like, of course Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in a fire and they didn't burn. Of course Jonah got swallowed by a whale. Of course God created seven days. He's given you spiritual revelation. That's an inheritance for you. Take a look what else. That the eyes, verse 18, of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. You've been given the Holy Spirit. How many of you ever thought you could never, don't raise your hand. I could never give up smoking. I could never give up this. How many of you, don't, don't, you don't have to agree. How many of you were angry people? And all of a sudden, like, if you were to go back to your high school and people to see that you were so kind, they'll fall over dead. <laughs> That's the power of the Holy Spirit. He's moving and acting in your life. God has an abundant life for you. And as we purpose to trust his promises and live by faith, we are living in the promised land. And what he's doing in this section, he's warning you against disobedience. He's warning you about doubting him. He's warning you about disbelieving him. It will keep you from the abundant life. But I need you to know this. God didn't send them back to Egypt. They didn't go back to Egypt. But they walked in the wilderness in the discipline of God for 40 years. Their entire free lives, they were being disciplined by God. Do you want that life? You know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. You know how when you sin, you don't feel good? Hello? That was way too much conviction at one time. I could feel it. You could feel it. We had to relieve ourselves just a little bit, okay? You know, (laughs) amen? You know how like when you sin, it's like, you just feel yucky, right? It's like you bathe and you still feel dirty, right? It's like you're not, you and your wife aren't doing great or you and your kids aren't doing great or you said a nasty word. I know Christians never do, but you said one and you just feel like, ugh, gross. You know that feeling? You know that feeling? How would you like to live like that for 40 years? That's how the children of Israel lived. For 40 years, they lived in the ickiness of a decision they made not to trust God to walk in the promised land. 
That is a miserable Christian life. You're saved. You escape the flames. But what a waste of a Christian life. Constantly struggling with sin instead of inheriting the promise of the power of the Holy Spirit to defeat it. So he says this. Go with me to Hebrews. Go back with me to Hebrews chapter 3. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you'll hear his voice, listen to the promise. Don't harden your heart, says in the rebellion. In the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me and tried me, and saw my works 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Did you read that? The Holy Spirit said, now this comes from Psalm 95 and David wrote it. But the Holy Spirit's the author. The Holy Spirit says they tested and tried God with their unbelief despite all that God did for them. Do you remember what God did for them? They saw the Red Sea part. They walked outside of the, outside of the ten plagues. Let's just get beyond that. Let's get beyond the pillar of fire at night and let's get beyond the how he supernaturally protected them and the Red Sea they walked through, saw the Egyptians swallowed up. Okay, that's big enough. Then they're hungry and you got manna. You got, I mean, better than Hawaiian sweetbread. <laughs> Dropping down from heaven, okay? You're making manna cakes you are making manna cotti. Like, you are making all kind of manna this and manna that. All right? You're making every manna kind of thing that you can imagine. Then you start complaining. I want meat. Hmm. So God starts having quails, like, dive bombing them. Okay? Like, just imagine, like, ah, there's another one. <laughs> coming down. They got so tired of the meat. They're like, God, please remove the meat. We don't want any more quail. You see miracle after miracle after miracle. And you still don't trust God. We can't go in the promised land. There's giants there. Excuse me? Do you remember what happened to Egypt? That just happened to you 11 days ago. And he was angry with them. Did you hear that? He was angry with them because they went astray and they didn't trust him. A lack of faith angers God. A lack of faith angers God. But faith pleases him. Faith pleases God. So what did God do? He disciplined them as a father disciplines his child. And the writer of Hebrews is going to bring that up, that a father who loves his son disciplines his son in Hebrews chapter 12. He disciplined them for 40 years. They didn't go back into slavery, but they didn't enjoy their inheritance either. They were in between Egypt and the promised land, and they lived in that place. It's like going on a diet. And you know how like they say, you'll be full, try this meal. And you finish eating the meal, and you're like, I'm still hungry. Imagine being dissatisfied your whole life. 40 years, they were there in the wilderness and they constantly felt unfulfilled. And there's something important to see in this. 
10 spies convinced 600,000 men, that's 2 million people with wives and children. And the whole crowd said, we're not going in. Two people and their families believed. Just because the majority says it's right doesn't mean it is. Just because the majority says it right does not mean it is. And if everyone is wearing that bathing suit, it doesn't mean you have to. And if everybody is watching that show, it doesn't mean it's good for you. If everyone is choosing to speak like that, it doesn't mean it's proper for a believer. Let me tell you something about our faith. The harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. Christians have always been the minority. Believers have always been the minority. And he's encouraging this church and he's saying, I know it seems like the majority is saying, leave Christ. But I need you to know from your own history, it's always been the minority, those that followed and believed God, that inherit the promises. And just because the world is headed in one direction doesn't mean we should follow. It doesn't mean we should follow. So he says in verse 12, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. He's clearly communicating as believers, since you're believers, when God speaks to you, today if you hear his voice, when God speaks to you, don't harden your hearts. And if you see anyone in the church that is hardening their heart, give them a call. Don't be afraid of, don't judge me. Who do you think you are? Because the Bible is making it very clear here that if you see anyone, exhort one another daily while it's called today, lest any of you should be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We should be calling out people that are walking into sin because we love them and we care for them and we don't want them to drift away. Now, we shouldn't be sin sniffers. Shouldn't be sin sniffers. We shouldn't be fruit inspectors. But when you know she's dating an unsaved man, call her. Call her. When you know they haven't been in church in four weeks because they're back drinking, Call them. Exhort one another daily. And what he's trying to communicate here is not the question of if we hold the beginning of our confidence. What he's saying is we can enjoy the abundance of Christ by remaining steadfast. And being steadfast is once again the evidence of our salvation. 
Now, when he says, if you go back with me to verse 12, beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God, we've got to remember that the word of God is called the living word of God. And when God speaks to us, we can't go like this, like some of our parents are doing when they're running out of VBS. They can't take the noise. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. You call someone and you give them scripture and they go, don't tell me that. They don't want to hear it. They'd rather hear, they'd rather live in their sin. Jesus promises abundant life. But the enemy promises to kill, steal, and destroy your life. When you're making that phone call, when you're connecting with that friend, you are saving them like a lifeguard is saving someone who's drowning. That's what you're doing. And he says, listen, if you want to be a partaker of Christ, then listen to his word. Be obedient to him. Trust him with all of your heart and do not doubt. And he proves it. Look at verse 16. For who, having heard, rebelled? They heard the word of God. Go into the promised land. And they said, no, we don't want to go and we're afraid. Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry 40 years? Who did he discipline? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? But to those who did not obey. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. What promise has God given you, but you don't believe him for it? Where is your wilderness wandering? You see, God promised me revival. He promised me revival. And I was living in Fort Lauderdale, Florida at the time. And I got a job to come here to California at a church. I told Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale, I'm leaving. I'm going to another church out in California. The Lord's called me. After I told Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale, that I was leaving, the job that I was coming to, the senior pastor called me. After I had already told Calvary, Fort Lauderdale, that I'm coming, leaving, the senior pastor of the church that had hired me called me and said, I can't give you a job. I just gave him my two weeks at Calvary, Fort Lauderdale. And I looked at my wife and I go, Okay, what are we going to do? And she said this to me. 20 years ago, Chet, we went to Liberia and God convicted us that we were not to raise financial support and he provided for us every dollar for three and a half years. If we don't go to California, we're disobedient. And if we use the fact that we don't have any money not to go to California then we will not inherit the promise that God has for us. And we loaded up the truck and we moved out to Beverly. In Texas. In Texas. I'll never forget it. I got a phone call. And someone supported us for a year to live in California. Amen. 
Had I chosen not to come, I wouldn't be experiencing the inheritance of Calvary Chapel South Bay. Church, what promise are you choosing to not walk in that God has promised you and you're not walking in because of fear? Or is it because of sin? Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I want you to see this. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I had planned to get through chapter 4. It ain't happening. Take a look at this. Moreover, brethren, I don't want you to be unaware that our fathers were under the cloud. All passed through the sea, verse 2, 1 Corinthians 10. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food. All ate the drink and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Let me tell you why God got so upset with Moses. Because at Jesus' first coming, he was struck and he was killed. But at his second coming, Jesus is the rock. Nobody will strike Jesus. He's the king of kings. Moses, you're punished. You're not going to the promised land. You've messed up the illustration. So he says here, But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. I love the word carcasses. It's amazing how much time we spend on our carcasses. We get buff in our carcasses. We deodorize our carcasses. We bathe them. We paint it. We buy expensive clothes to cover it. And we're just going to be scattered one day. I heard one pastor say, we spend a lot of money on worm food. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil's things as they also lusted. Do not become idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Now, nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain, as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them as examples. And they were written in numbers for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. God's faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread and one body. We all partake of that one bread. Observe Israel. After the flesh. Are not those who eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? What am I saying then? That an idol is anything 
excuse me, that is an idol is anything, or what is offered idols anything. Rather, the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I don't want you to have fellowship with demons. You can't drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You can't partake of the Lord's table and of the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Here's the point. All things are lawful for me. I can do whatever I want. But not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. He says, I want you to take a look at the children of Israel. You want their life? You want to wander around in the wilderness for 40 years? Instead of walking in your promised land? You want to give in to sin? You want to give in to disbelief? You want to not trust God? Look at their life. You want that? He says, in Christ, whatever you want. But it ain't helpful. It doesn't edify. You can make whatever choice you want. You can go off on a drinking binge. You can sleep with someone uh, uh, and have a one-night stand. You can do it all. You can choose to make that decision. But it ain't helpful. It won't edify you. And you'll feel icky. And you'll feel like even a bath won't make you clean. And what Paul is trying to get across, the nation of Israel is our example. Why would you choose to live in the wilderness instead of walk into your promise by being obedient to the word of God? So church, I hope and pray that though you have freedom in Christ, you will give up your life for Christ and walk in your promises. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the great grace of your word. Thank you for the book of Hebrews. And I pray, Lord, that you'd help us walk in the promises of God. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.